The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Well, good morning, Refuge. I just want to uh, start by publicly thanking Daniel for choosing to take his long overdue vacation. At the same time, we're going through the book of Numbers. <laughs> Seems all too coincidental to me. <laughs> you know, in all reality, he hasn't taken a vacation in something like nine years. And so when you see him, congratulate him for going on vacation for three weeks. It has really been long overdue. He sent us a weird video this morning of a monkey crawling in it on his back, and we decided not to show you because it was pretty weird. Well, you're stuck with me this morning. My name is Jordan, and we're going to start um, by reading from Numbers chapter 2. I was at House Church this last week, and Bob Sherwin used this really funny phrase. He said, slogging it out through Leviticus. How many of you have felt like we've been slogging through the book of Leviticus. We are going to be slogging it out through the book of Numbers today. Uh, hey, Numbers and Leviticus is, is weird. There's a lot of weirdness. There's a lot of cultural things happening. There's a lot of interesting dynamics. Take a deep breath with me. We'll get to Matthew soon. <laughs> But today we're going to be going through Numbers chapter 2, and as I read, I'm just going to be drawing a little bit here on the whiteboard, because as I was preparing for speaking this morning, it was incredibly helpful for me to kind of visualize what's being talked about here, so bear with me. Numbers chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, the Israelites are to camp around the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, so we're going to draw a little tent, and you're going to laugh at me for how my drawing goes here. That's a tent with some smoke. <laughs> or incense, right? On the east, towards the sunrise, the divisions of the camp of Judah. So on the east, here's, well, let's, let's do this, Sorry. Bible said some distance from it, didn't it? So, Judah. And then next is the tribe of Issachar. And after them, the tribe of Zebulun. All the men assigned to the camp of Judah, according to their divisions, number 186,400. And that's men, not including women and children. So, inflate that number to include them. On the south will be the divisions of the camp of Reuben, most well-known for their contributions to the culinary world. (laughs) And after them will be the tribe of Simeon. And next, it will be Gad. 
and all the men assigned to the camp of Reuben, number 151, 450. And the, the tent of meeting and the camp of the Israel, the Levites will set out in the middle of the camps. They will set out in the same order as they encamp. And we'll find out what the importance of that phrase is later. On the west will be the divisions of the camp of Ephraim. Next, Manasseh. And after them will be Benjamin, Mr. Ben. All the men assigned to the camp of Ephraim, number 108,000. And on the north will be the divisions of the camp of Dan. Next to them will be Asher. And finally, Neptali. All the men assigned to the camp of Dan, number 157,600. These are the Israelites counted according to their families, all those in camps by their divisions, number 603,550. The Levites, however, were not counted along with the other Israelites as the Lord commanded Moses. And so the Israelites did everything the Lord commanded Moses, and that is the way they encamped under their standards, and that is the way they set out. And it goes on, Uh, later in chapter three to talk about how the Levites people would be gathered around. So we'll write them in here. The Gersonite clans are to camp on the west. Let's use a different color for the Levites. Let's use, what do you guys want to use, blue or red? Red. Blue. Oh, dang, it's 50-50. Blue it is. (laughs) Okay, so the Gersonite clans are to be on the west behind the tabernacle. I hope we all can read my terrible handwriting. The the Kohathite, if you can pronounce it, let me know. Camp on the south side of the tabernacle. And the Merarite clans are to camp on the north side Moses and Aaron finally were to camp on the east side of the tabernacle and all of their families so here it is what really stuck out to me in doing this and this might just be indicative of my oversimplified brain is God organized himself, he placed himself at the center of the entire Israelite community. He organized the entire community around his holy presence. And I really don't know if this is the perfect exegetical analysis of the positioning of the tabernacle, but it just got me thinking about how many other things we place at the center of our lives other than him and how many other things we're shaped by and how many other patterns we're conformed to because we don't have him at the center of our life. And so over the last few weeks as I've prepared for this morning, this really simple question kept coming back into my heart and I couldn't get around it. And it's a really simplistic question, 
that I feel like is asked a lot in churches and in church circles. But this morning, I wanted to ask it again, and I want us to truly be honest with ourselves and with God in answering the question, is Jesus at the center of your life? Is Jesus actually at the center of your life or are you being conformed to some other pattern that this crooked world has made up? Because what's really the point of all this? We show up every week, week in and week out on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday or Thursday nights and we sing a couple of songs and we meet a couple of new people, we see our friends and we listen to Dave and Daniel's amazing sermons But what's the point of all of it if it's not actually causing us to center our lives on Jesus? Because I read these crazy stories in the book of Numbers and elsewhere in the Old Testament where these people, if they approached the presence of God and they were not pure, if God wasn't at the center of themselves, they were dead. This is some serious business, right? I think of Isaiah 6. Have you guys ever read Isaiah 6, the first part of Isaiah 6? Maybe you've heard me talk about it before because it's the most mind-blowing passage to me where Isaiah, this esteemed prophet, where we kind of put him on the top shelf, right, of human beings that's ever existed next to Jesus. And he enters the, the temple. We can go ahead and put it up there. I think we have it. He enters the temple and he sees God high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple, and he sees these weird angelic beings with six wings flapping and and flying above God, and they're screaming constantly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of their angelic voices screaming over and over his holiness, he collapses and he falls flat on his face and he cries, woe is me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. This man, pure, God was at the center of his life. The holiness of God was terrifying for somebody like Isaiah. Guys, I am afraid that we have grossly underestimated the holiness of God. And as followers of him, the call on our lives to be holy. I was reading in Romans 12 this week, and it hit me, and you're allowed to read other portions of scripture, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I was reading in Romans 12, and it just hit me in a brand new way. When Paul says, do not be conformed, any longer to the pattern of this world. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And it just got me to thinking, how long does it take to be conformed into something? I don't know about you, but I don't want to conform my life to the pattern of this world. I want to be conformed to Jesus' pattern. But what percentage of your life would you say you invest into pursuing Jesus. We spend about an hour together here every Sunday, and if you're a part of a house church, which I strongly encourage you to be, you're spending about two hours there, and so about three hours 
of our week is spent at an official church function. There's 168 hours in a week, and I checked with the bookkeeper, Vanita, because I'm terrible at math, and it turns out that three hours out of a week is 1.7% of the week. And so we spend about 1.7% of our week here at church. If Sunday mornings and Wednesday or Thursday nights are the only time that you are allowing yourself to center yourself on Jesus, then that, the only logical conclusion there is that you're only investing 1.7% of your life into pursuing him. My friends, if you invest less than 2% of yourself into anything, I promise you that that thing will not shape you. And thinking about how much time we spend at work or at school, that's like 25% of our week. It's just a higher statistical probability that we are being shaped far more by our work or at school and what we're immersed in there than what we are being immersed in here, right? So my point simply this morning is this. God must be at the center of your life for you to be able to imitate his character. God must be at the center of your life for you to be able to imitate his character. For your heart to beat like his, for your passions to be the same as his, for the way you see the world to be the same way that he sees the world, for your pursuits, for your ambitions, for your dreams, for all those to be the same as God's, he must be at the center of your being. Today has to be the day where we say we're no longer satisfied with only giving him 2% of our life or access to 2% of our life because he wants all of you. And I'm not talking about just spending more time at church. It's about learning how to pursue him while we're at work, while we're at school, while we're playing disc golf, while we're hanging out with our friends, while we're watching movies, and allowing his spirit to inform everything we are doing. It's not just being legalistic with what we're spending our time doing and how we're spending our time and how much of where we're at, right? It's a posture of our heart. It's learning to pursue him while you're at work and school. So whether you're camping or we read in, in Numbers that this is the way that he positioned himself while they're camping, but it also said while they were going the camp of Judah and the camp of Reuben and then followed by the the tabernacle and the other two. He was at the center of their camp. He was at the center of their road trip. So whether you're coming or you're going and whatever you do is God at the center of your life. There's this app that I came across somehow uh, the last couple of weeks called Sprinkle of Jesus how many of you guys have ever heard of this? I'm so glad you, I'm so glad, I'm so glad. Uh, they send out these um, stupid little uh, daily push notifications of these spiritual um, inspirational quotes. And I just want to read a few of them for you. If God shuts the door, stop banging on it. Whatever was behind it wasn't meant for you. I'm not going to go into the theological uh, meaning 
or the validity of these statements, but God will bless you if you stop hating. Don't chase opportunity. Pursue purpose, and opportunities will come. God is watching over you tonight. Stop fighting this battle alone. Give it to God and go to bed. You can't pray for them and gossip about them. Choose one. I mean, it's funny, right? We laugh, but sprinkle of Jesus. Think about how accurate this is for our culture and maybe for our lives. We kind of cautiously follow Jesus. Like, we don't want too much of him. We want just enough of him to tell us that we're okay and everything's going to be fine and that he's still this happy little white guy in white robes with a perfect beard that sits in a garden and cuddles bunnies and loves you. I mean, seriously, like this is what the sprinkle of Jesus. Guys, if this is it, if this is the point of everything we do here, that we just kind of get a little Jesus sprinkled into our lives and then we go on Monday morning to our school and our work and we're talking however we want to and we're thinking however we want to and we're acting however we want to, then I really don't want anything to do with this. There's no point because the Jesus that I read about in this book is one of a furious love that calls us to sacrifice our petty desires of lust and greed and deny our own selfish ambition and follow him. To live a life of such radical love that permeates even into the darkest corners of our culture, the bars, the ghettos, the the strip clubs, the the drug-infested streets. Because Jesus wants all of you. He doesn't just want to be sprinkled into your life. We're not talking about, hey, let's just pray a prayer and ask Jesus into our life and then live however you want to. Talking about being a people who've decided to die to themselves. To deny ourselves in our own desires and follow him and his desires. We're not talking about getting this room filled up with people who just go to church more. We're talking about being the church, talking about being a Christ healing community in every corner of our city, healing it by the power of Jesus that is in us right now. We're we're talking about living out this message, actually living this out, not just 2%, not just 1%, not just 10%, but actually allowing the words of God and us struggling through the weirdness of numbers and exodus and whatever else we're gonna read in the coming weeks, but allowing those things to shape us and ground us in so that when we hear the things at work that aren't matching up with the words of God, we know it and we can fight it. Because here it is, friends, we have a great, big, powerful enemy. And his name is Satan. And this isn't a joke. When Jesus says to watch out, be on your guard like he does in Luke 12, 15, he isn't joking. Our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for people to devour Think of it like this. Have you guys ever been fishing? If you, if you have me on Facebook, you'll notice my, my Facebook profile picture is of a huge salmon that I caught. Don't be deceived. That's the first fish I've ever caught in my life before you get some inflated sense of who I actually am. What I understand about fishing 
is that you put bait on the hook in an attempt to lure the fish out of its retreat so that it would bite the hook. And then once the fish bites the hook, you're on. It's game on, right? This is what Satan does to us all day long. Except for he doesn't just dangle this hook in front of your face, right? Like you, you're smarter than that. So you wouldn't just grab a hold of a hook. So what does he do? He goes to Trader Joe's and he grabs little Scandinavian swimmers. I was expecting the hook to be a lot smaller, so I'd only use one. But since the hook is like enough to catch a shark, he puts something on there that's appetizing and smells good and looks good. And then he dangles it in front of your face and says, I know you want it. It tastes good. It's sweet and it looks good and it smells good. You know you want it. Just take it. And then every once in a while, we're like, you know what? No, I'm good. I I don't need that in my life. And he says, oh, well, okay. Candy doesn't do it for you. How about money? How about a hundred bucks? How about a hundred bucks? How about money? You know you want that. You're losing money by being here. And this is what Satan does to us all day long. This doesn't work for you? Oh, well, how about this? And it's not just one hook, right? It's like a million hooks all around us. We are constantly bombarded by things that we are tempted by because, man, there's so much opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity. And what he's doing all day long is he's trying to lure you and entice you. This is a huge hook. He's trying to entice you out of this place. He's luring you and he's constantly saying, man, I know you like this. I know you want it. And he doesn't give up. When you resist one, he, he finds something better. He sweetens the pot. If you're only spending 2% of your life centering yourself on Jesus, then I promise you that that hook does not have to have that appetizing a bait on it for you to take it. It might even be the bare hook. And you're like, oh, okay, sweet. Because if we want to fight the millions of hooks that are all around us, we have to have something truer and more beautiful and precious in our sight at all times. We need to have a laser focus on Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus and the beauty of Jesus for us to be able to even attempt to fight off these hooks because they're too good right? They feel too good. They taste too good. It smells too good. And if Jesus doesn't smell better and taste better to you, then you're going to take the bait. Just as the tabernacle was a visual reminder of the presence of God in the Israelite community, what are the things that you can place in your life to constantly have your eyes fixed on him? Fixed. What would our lives look like? Is the posture of your heart such that allows God into your comings and your goings, placing him at the center of your life. So often we hear in churches, just invite Jesus into your life, you know? It's like we invite Jesus into our life and then we're good. (laughs) No. As you read the scripture in this year, you won't hear that language. Jesus doesn't say, I just want to come into your life. What you will hear him say 
is he invites you to repent, right? To orient your life around him and start following him. So friends, if Sunday mornings are the only time that you set aside to pursue Jesus, then I guarantee that you are being conformed to a pattern that is made up by this crooked world. This is why we have so much injustice and corruption and racism and sexism and guys being creeps and treating women like objects and possessions and these power hungry, hungry excuse me, power hungry people who manipulate others to get themselves to the top. And that's why things like this still exist in the church. God forbid this one. I think of, I mean, just like last week, you know, Daniel mentioned this local pastor that has been caught up in an affair, right, for however long. And it's just crazy because I think, man, if, if Jesus had been the center of his life and not just his mouth, what would it have been like? And before we get too pissed off at him and shame him and judge him, I just have to ask the question, how far are any of us from that same failure? Super easy to judge, right? Until we realize that everybody in this room has a million hooks all around us. And unless our sight is on Jesus, that's something better, we're gonna take the hook. Part of the reason that I think things like this, so much injustice happens in the church is because we have so many Christians just living whatever way they want, justifying the way that they want because we're told that it's okay just to have a sprinkle of Jesus in your day, that's enough. And they so warp him into fitting into whatever they want to hear. I think of this recent Me Too movement in our country where women and men are feel empowered to finally speak out against this abuse that they've had to silently endure over years. And guys, I, I really wish this went without saying, but this has no place in the church. Men, fathers, brothers, uncles, step up to the plate and fight this cultural narrative that tells you that it's okay to objectify women and use them for your own gain. That's a lie. That's a pattern that our world has constructed that we're fitting into. It's a lie and it has no place in the church. And how many more of our precious sisters in this room have to endure abuse and in our city before we start stepping up as the people of God and saying that it isn't okay. It's not okay to treat women with such disrespect and abuse them and touch them and and catcall at them on the street corner. That's not the way Jesus wants us to live. Step up to the plate. Let's bring our Christ-healing community to a city and a culture that so desperately needs to be informed by it. How beautiful would our country be if we started informing the culture and the people and brothers and sisters are just loving each other and partnering with each other and teaching each other and loving each other, you know? It's time 
to start thinking properly about the holiness of God and what our response is and call is in that to be holy. And so as I wrap up this morning, I just want to ask a question. Are you in love with Jesus? I'm finding it harder and harder and harder to stay in love with him. Time seems to go by faster and faster and there's more and more people to connect with and more and more pressure from the people I don't have time to connect with and it's just as busy and busy and busier. But guys, don't just invite Jesus into your life. Make Jesus your life. Don't be satisfied anymore with just showing up on Sundays and Wednesdays and reading five minutes of scripture every day or whatever, like allow this to be what you center your life on. Because there's no other more beautiful way of living than that. Start today. Take Jesus' invitation to repent seriously. And don't leave today without doing it. There's people that are gonna be standing right there at that center spot available to pray. And it's okay if you don't want to pray with somebody. You can pray in your seat, but I challenge you guys, if there's something in your life that is keeping you from following him completely, and if there's something that's preventing you from making him the center of your life, then don't leave today without confessing it. There's grace. Grace, one of the most amazing things is that grace covers that. Whatever it is, grace covers that. So don't leave today without dealing with it. And I'll be at the back and I'm happy to pray for you and talk with you. And even if you've celebrated, even if you've had that million, the million hooks around you and you've said no to everyone, we want to celebrate with you and rejoice in that because we need your strength. So guys, I love you. And I just want, I want, I want to follow Jesus 100% with you guys. Because I believe in being a Christ healing community and I've seen what it could look like and how beautiful it is. So pray with me. Jesus, we need you so desperately. Help us, God, to place you at the center of our lives today, right now in this moment. Help us not to have the, even the ability to walk out of here without dealing with this, God. Lord, we want all of you, and we want you to have all of us. Help us, we pray. Amen.